We're in the middle of a series or collection of talks called Relationship Goals. Now, if you received a flyer, I think it was like three or four weeks ago, we had a flyer maybe a month ago and said we're going to do Relationship Goals, and only had three weeks on there. We're in week four. We're going to go five weeks. Is that cool with everybody? Because uh, it's been a powerful series. We're taking a relevant topic. We're discussing how it's infused with Scripture and how can I have some relationship Goals, relationship goals. So we are having a conversation today. And so if you got little ones in here that are uh, maybe fifth grade and younger, we have a great uh, program called Avenue Kids with four uh, areas for them for their learning environment. And they get their own worship. They get their own message. They get their own candy. Come on, somebody, you know. Uh, and so make sure you check them in right now because this is a topic that we're talking about in week four. If you got teenagers, dab, right? You are here today. Stay here because I'm, we're not going to be vulgar. Uh, we're not going to be, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to do any shock and awe, but we are going to talk about sex. We are going to talk about sex today. And so make sure you have a moment of that. And so while, if you got to make that transition and make sure, I want you to know there's no shame, there's no guilt, we don't make it weird. You're going, if you're new here today, you might look at somebody who invited you and say, really? You got to bring me on this day? Yeah. Um, but we have a wonderful experience planned for you. Also, we have baptism set up and uh, amazing. It's been amazing. So if you've never been water baptized, and you know what? We have the opportunity for you today. There's no class, nothing like that. That's what we have growth track for. But you can go to that tent, get your picture taken, and I would love to dunk you after today's message. Uh, so if you need to transition your little ones out, I'm going to segue right into ARC. We are a non-denominational Christian church, but we also support ARC. ARC is a associated, uh, related churches. It's just a tribe that we belong to. And because of your generosity, check this out, because of your generosity, we help churches start. Uh, we give financially. My wife and I coach as well. And so will you give it up for ARC? Because last Sunday marked 900 churches. 900 life-giving, amazing churches that are impacting their community. And so our latest one we just coached was Life Words Church in Sacramento, California. And uh, so I just love what God is doing in this church, within these walls, but also outside of these walls, through our generosity, through our serving. And so make sure you can go on our website, see the Dream Center project we did last weekend. And uh, just amazing all that God has done. And so if you got your Bibles out, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. If you have an iPhone, get it out. Check in on Facebook. Tag me right now on Instagram. Let's story this thing up. I don't know what else there is. All right, TikTok me while I'm up here. I have no idea what else there is. But get your phones out. Get your Bibles out. Get your version app. If you have a um, Samsung or an Android, just put it away. It's going to frustrate you anyways. And the pictures are terrible. All right. No, nobody? Okay, I'll keep going. I have an eight-year-old, and um, his name is Levi. And on Friday, we had a conversation. And on uh, Friday, I kind of told him, okay, Levi, on Saturday, here's what we got to do. Here's kind of the things that we have to prepare for, things we're, we're going to do. And so on Friday, he was like, no, Dad, uh, this is what I want to do. This is what we should do. And I was like, no, son, we got, we got plans. You know what I mean? We got to set all this up. We got things to do, parties to go to, all of that. And he said, Dad, this is what I want to do. And so I told my son, well, son, we got to compromise. He goes, I know. I'm learning what compromise means in school. I know what that's all about. And I said, okay, um, so what, what is compromise. And my son, he's eight years old. I think he's a theologian. I don't know. But my son said, compromise means you do what I want you to do. 
I said, that sounds like some marriages right there. You know what I mean? Like, and so I took me we playing Legos. And so I had two people. I said, Levi, this is me. I'm this Lego piece. This is you. This is your Lego piece. He goes, Dad, you're bigger than that. I said, son, in the name of Jesus. You know what I mean? I added on to the Lego piece. And I put a line in the middle. I said, this is what compromise is. Compromise means this is what I want. This is what you want. We're going to meet in the middle. That's what a compromise is. And Levi looked at it and kind of pondered it. Never really realized that before. And then he went, no, Dad. No, Dad. Like I'm tricking him, right? No, Dad. He took my Lego piece and said, compromise is when you finally do what I want you to do. And there's an enemy out there that wants us to compromise and to totally do what he wants us to do. So the title of my message today is Sex, Lies, and Compromise. Sex, lies, and compromise. Sex, lies, and compromise. I'll probably say sex a couple more times, and it's going to be fun. Come on, somebody. Right? Everyone's like, why? Why, pastor? Why are you doing this to me today? But this is a really relevant topic that I believe churches should not shy away from. I believe this is a topic that sometimes when we don't address it, when we don't talk about it with grace and with mercy, we walk away feeling guilt and shame. And that's not my desire here today. My desire for us today is to hear a life-giving message. That's not, and if you're a young person if here, if you're single or dating or engaged, this is not a topic that says, you know what, here's a bunch of don'ts so that, so that you, you stay out of trouble. No, this is all about protection. It's all about protection. So Genesis chapter 3 says this, there's Adam and Eve and they're in the garden. God says you can eat of any fruit of the tree except for the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says there, God, we're good, we got it. And Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, this is what it says. Now a serpent, who's the devil, was more crafty than any other of the wild animals in, in the Lord had made. He said to Eve, the woman, he said, did God really say did God really say you, you can't eat from, from that tree or any tree in the garden? And what compromise does will tell you a half-truth with a lie. Got to tell you a half-truth with a lie. And so last week we talked about property lines and formulas. We talked about boundaries last week. So catch that on our YouTube or our podcast. But I've realized that without boundaries, we really don't have freedom. But we always think, well, if I don't have, if, if there is boundaries, therefore I cannot be free. But how many know if anything is accessible, then nothing is special? That there's not really true freedom. So he said, did God really say, are you sure? Like you got a list of rules for your relationship. Are you sure? You know, maybe that was reserved for somebody who's not going to be your spouse someday, but I think this one will be. He said, are you Sure, you can't eat of any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4 says, you will certainly not die. That's a half truth. So a lot of times we think if we eat the fruit, we're going to go into a sleeping beauty spell or die instantly on command. But that's not the kind of death God was talking about. God is saying if you eat of that tree, you, you will then have knowledge of good and of evil. He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. You'll know good and you'll, you'll know evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. And pleasing to the eye. Sometimes we compromise in order to please our eye. It was also desirable 
for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and she ate it. She gave some to her husband. So Adam and Eve were husband and wife. He gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they were naked the entire time, but when they ate of the fruit, sin entered into the world, and they began to realize, I am naked, I'm exposed, I have guilt, I have shame. So they sewed fig leaves together, they put matters into their own hands, and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and God said, where are you? And I love it because God's omnipresent. He knows exactly where you are. But he says, where are you? Because he wants you to make sure, do you know where you're at? Do you know where you are? And Adam said, we heard you in the garden. I was afraid. I was afraid because I made a mistake. I was afraid because I gave in. I was afraid because I had an accident. I, an oops. I was afraid because I was naked. Because I was exposed. So I, I hid. Hey, man, this has been heavy on my heart during this Relationship Goal series. That God doesn't want you to hide. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to have great relationships. God wants you to have hope for your future. And this is what Jesus, this is what God said. He said, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were exposed? Who put that guilt and that shame over your life? Who told you. In verse 21 it says, the Lord God made garments. He sacrificed and he made garments from that animal and he took the skin and covered Adam and his wife and he clothed them. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you for this message, Father. I thank you, Father, that in your word it gives us truth to every single lie. The Father, I pray for those that are here today, maybe from a broken relationship, maybe currently in a relationship, maybe they're married, Father, divorced or widowed. The Father, no matter what area we are in our lives, the Father, I pray we begin to feel the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that according to your word, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So Father, we thank you for this word in Jesus' name, and everybody shout it. Amen. All right, I got to go quick because I would love the honor to water baptize people today. But there's two major sex lies. If you're taking notes, we're going to go today, all right? Sex lie number one, sex makes everything better. Sex makes everything better. Culture, TV, movies, everywhere we look, coworkers, it's everywhere. And we say, you know what? Sex makes us more desirable. Sex will improve our self-image. Sex will improve our relationship. You know what? We're not married yet, so, but we have sex together because it really seals the deal. But I begin to realize over many counselings, over premarital and postmarital and, and, and all these different uh, statuses that I've, that I've counseled with, I've realized that sex before marriage usually makes things not better. You know on Facebook where you can kind of select like, I'm single? Right? Sometimes we just leave that blank. You know, like I'm single, I'm dating, or engaged, or it's complicated. Right there, that's probably what it's reserved for, right? It's complicated. But I'm here to tell you, sex before marriage will never validate you or your relationship. We find in the Bible, Matthew chapter 19, this is Jesus. And I love it that Jesus is preaching on Genesis chapter 3. And he answered, he said, have you not read that the one who made them in the beginning, he made them male and he made them female, Adam 
and Eve. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and will be joined to his wife. Can I get an amen right there? Right? Right? You got to move out of your parents' basement in order to have a relationship. Come on, somebody. Somebody just got real mad at me. I'm sorry. And then the two will become one flesh. You know this part here? It means sex. The two are joined together into one. So there are no longer two, but there are now one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's where it gets complicated. God is saying marriage is what I'm using to make sure two become one. But when we open up God's gift early on, it begins to make things complicated. Sex before marriage will not make you feel more desirable. Matter of fact, it often will dismantle your, your, your securities. It'll make you feel more insecure. What happens, it'll end up making you feel more insecure, more desperate, and you'll feel even more alone. Because what happens is guilt and shame comes right in. Guilt and shame begins to enter into our heart. That we'll be like Adam and Eve. We'll begin to hide the cover-up. We'll say, I made a mistake. I messed up. I thought it was all it was supposed to be. Line number two is we can't tame our sexuality. We can't tame our sexuality. And I love being a pastor because we got some single people up in the house today. Raise your hand if you're single. Be proud of it. Come on, single people. Right? I'm a single lady. All right? Raise your hand. Look around. Keep your hands up. This is what we got. Hello. Come on, somebody. All right? Avenuematch.com. Yes, Jesus. I'm sorry. Stop. But here's what I love about this lie. I can't tame our sexuality. That I understand temptation. I understand our culture. I understand you know, I was, I was, when, I, when I became a youth pastor at the age of 22 years old, I was single. And I asked God, God, you called me to the ministry. I would really like a wife into this thing called ministry. So I began to understand what it is to be tempted. I understood the culture, the peer pressure, the TV shows, the movies, whatever we feed into our spirit. I've had single people go, Pastor, I, I can't tame it. Pastor, I, I got to take a cold shower. Right? Pastor, I, I got to just starve, starve, starve. I can't tame my sexuality. But the Bible gives us some truth to this lie. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to everyone else. So I'm here to tell you, if you're struggling with this, and, and, and really it's everybody in this room, but if you're single and you're struggling with this, I'm here to tell you, you're not the only one. But that's why small groups are so important. That's why doing life with others is so important. Instead of saying, I can't tame it, well, you know what, I'm going to hang out with a small group of friends and go bowling, go hang out to a movie, go eat, begin to do things, and begin to do life with others. It's just no temptation overtaking you except what is common to mankind, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That tells me we can tame it. That tells me we can be like MC Hammer, can't touch this. But I love this, but when you are tempted, here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible doesn't say if you get tempted, the Bible doesn't say if you're not a priest or a monk or a nun and, and, and you end up getting tempted. The Bible says, when you are tempted, God will always provide a way out. He always provides a way out so that you can endure it. See, sexuality is such an important of who we are. It's how God made us. But you also have to understand, he also made us to, to control it. 
by providing a way up every single time. And somebody needs to hear this today. Temptation is not sin. The feelings, the emotion, the temptation comes your way. That's not sin. It's when we give in to that temptation. It leads on a path, a dangerous path, to sin. See, God created sex and he made it part of who we are. But you know God made other things inside of us, such as the brain. And in our brain, there's actually what's called a cortex. And that cortex is the learning portion of our brain. And I'm not trying to make a joke here today, but so many of us, we don't know anything else but sex. We don't know anything else but, except what culture is actually telling us or training us or saying this is normal, this is okay. But we have a cortex in our brain that is the, it's the, it gives us the power to learn how to make choices. Church, I'm here to tell you, we are more than our hormones. Got to get an amen, right? You're like, what kind of church am I in right now? What's going on? <laughs> you're, like, you're like, this is my first time. What is happening today? But I'm here to tell you, you're more than our hormones because our hormones do not decide what choices that we make. And so in order to have this conversation today, I wrote down five common choices that people make about sex. Five common choices that people make about sex. The first choice often is, it just happened. Choice. It just happened. It just happened. We see this in TV shows and movies. It just happened. It's unplanned. It's, it may feel right at the time, but I've just seen time and time again that sex before marriage almost always ushers the end of a relationship. Sometimes we think, oh, wow, I'm in love, therefore I'm going to seal the deal. But I've seen it begin to, begin to break up relationships. That when you don't plan for it, you're planning on it. Before every relationship, if you don't plan for it, I'm going to be tempted. I need boundaries in my life. I need areas in my life to say, you know what, yes and no, this is what we have. There's an understanding between one another. That's planning for it. But if we don't plan for it, then we're just going to be planning on it. It's just going to happen. Now begin to realize that when you do not consciously make the decision about something as important as sex during your relationship, it really wasn't your decision at all. That's a scary place to me. It just happened. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. I love how the author begins to talk about the Old Testament. It says, watch out for the Esau syndrome. Esau, he traded away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. I'm here to tell you, church, don't give in for a short-term appetite and throw it all away. He says, you well know that Esau later regretted the impulsive act and he wanted God's blessing. But by then, it was too late. Tears or no tears. It just happened. Choice always leads to compromise and to regret. But I'm here to tell you, some, I'm, I want to give you some hope this morning. If you had a moment that it just happened and you gave in and you indulged and now you're living in this life with guilt and shame, God wants to take it from you and heal you. God wants to restore your relationships in your life. Have you ever heard I got it all out of my system? How many know you never get it out of your system, you're putting them in your system. And that's why we love Avenue Church, the vision of our church. We want you to know God. I don't want you to know religion and church. I want you to know God. 
Because once we begin to have a relationship with Jesus, that's our foundation in every relationship. But then we get to know freedom. I want you to find freedom in every area. Freedom in your current marriage. Freedom in your current dating relationship. Freedom in, in the relationship that you have now. If you're single in this room, you have relationships. You have friends and people you do life with. I'm still praying for healthy relationships. That's number one. Number two, the if we are in love, it can't be wrong. Choice. I'm here to tell you, just as a pastor, as much love as I can say, love does not sanctify sex. Only marriage can. Only marriage can. And there's a lot we could go into, into this. Maybe it's you know, fear of commitment. Maybe it's my great-grandfather, my grandpa, my dad, my parents divorced, and I'm afraid I'll end up in a divorce. But I'm here to tell you that sex before marriage changes the dynamics of a relationship. You know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 19, it says, there are are no longer two, but there are now one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so when we say sex, you know what sex does? If we're in love, it can't be wrong. But what makes it wrong is that we take God's gift and we say, God, I'm going to open up early, and now I'm going to become one. But then if there's a breakup, if there's no covenant love called marriage, then there's going to be a heartbreak later on. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. Sex, even in the context of a caring and loving relationship, will forever change the dynamics of the relationship. See, sex is meant to unite and to bond to in, in a deep and wonderful way. But here's what happens when we have sex before marriage. What we're really doing is we, we, we're not just saying, you know, it's okay because we, we love each other. What we're saying is you now have, I'm now setting up expectations in my partner that you need to have needs that almost dismantles your relationship. And what we're doing is we're expanding expectations on someone who can never fulfill your wholeness. And that's Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 17 says, Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment, that avoids intimacy. Because what happens is it leaves us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. The third choice is sex brings us closer together. And I'm here to tell you, church, you might not hear pastors say this, but uh, sex can bring two people closer together, but only for a short time. Because here's the problem. The problem is using sex as a means for more intimacy is that it soon becomes a substitute for any emotional connection itself. We're saying, you know what? Skip all that. I just want the sex. I just want your body. Next week, I get to bring back a uh, relationship triangle. I remember the relationship triangle. We did it in remix. We did it in mixtape. I'm bringing back a relationship triangle because it's going to help us to see what's the natural order. But what happens when I have it all out of order? We're going to interview another couple. And I'm here to tell you, sex before marriage doesn't speed up the love process. It shortens it. But I believe God can redeem anything. See, it creates an illusion of intimacy that burns away in the fires of lust. That's all this quote this week, and I believe it was on my heart. It's much easier to jump in bed with someone than it is to share your heart. Get to know one another. Go on a journey. 
serve together, pray together, read your word together, know their, their anxieties and their fears and their worries and their dreams. Know what God's placed on the inside of them. It's not you fulfill me and you're going to do what God has planned for my life. It's say, what does God have planned for your life? Let's do life together. Number four is, I'm not sexual until I'm married. Choice. This is where the pastor goes, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. But this is another choice we make. I'm not sexual until I'm married. And this is my choice. When I was 22 years old, I, I was a virgin when I married my wife. Now, I used to be a youth pastor, and I see some of my, even my former students that are in here, right? You're getting like, you're like twitching a little bit because I'm talking about purity now, you know? I'm going to get the purity bracelets out. I'll be like, you know what I mean? Like, like it, I was hardcore as a youth pastor because I love students and young people. I'd say, man, if you're, if you're in a car alone with somebody, you know what the Bible says? Run! But I used to tell our students and our teenagers, my wife and I, we'd be on stage I'll call her up here in just a second as well. But we'd be on stage, and I'd tell students, I was a virgin when I got married. I was a virgin when I got married. Then I used to tell them, but hey, I ain't ugly. Come on, somebody. <laughs> because I had boundaries in my life. I had guidelines and guardrails. See, here's what I've seen. Sometimes single people often shut down when we avoid anything. We avoid hugging or touching or PDA. Like your entire life is a Christian summer camp. <laughs> and that's not wrong either. I had a friend of mine, his name was Zach. I can't tell you his last name because I want to protect his identity. And I remember we were at a, uh, at a camp, and, and uh, I, I was on staff, and he was on staff. We worked for the, the speaker that was at the camp, and he was Mr. Pure Guy. I looked up to him. I loved him with all my heart. And I remember once this lady came up, and she put literally, she just put her elbow right on his shoulder. She was like, what's up? And he went, I mean, it was like, whoa, don't beat her up. You know what I mean? Like, calm down. But here's the reason why I'm bringing up this choice. Because here's the danger. And I've seen this with uh, those that maybe grew up in church. You heard purity message after purity message after purity message. That's a, that's a wonderful place. You're in a wonderful place in your spiritual journey. But here's the danger. The danger is you begin to believe that good people don't enjoy sex when they're married. We believe that good people don't enjoy sex but that when we get married, we begin to feel cheap and sinful when we have married sex. That oftentimes we carry the misbelief that good people don't enjoy sex, only bad people do. And I'm here to hopefully help some marriages this morning. To say sex is it's not gross. Sex is a gift. That there's ways we can display our love and affection for the other person without crossing our property lines, without breaking or sinning or breaking what the Word of God says. But I'm here to tell you, it has to be your property line, not mine. Not mine. If it was my property line, I'd be like, don't touch anybody. Yeah, I mean, like, don't you dare get married right now. Yeah, I mean, like. But it becomes, if I, if I tell you what your property line should be, it's not going to be a guideline or a property line. It's going to become a rule that you break. And so if you want to have some, and here's the last one, number five, let's set boundaries choice. 
And I want to address the issue this morning. Never seen churches do this. This is from a lot of Christian counseling and Christian books I've been reading. And, and I want to ask the question, how far is too far? How far is too far? <laughs> there, I got the number out. Let's go, people. All right. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you a list. So if you want a list of how far is too far, text LIST to 702-727-8280. And I want you to know, God has boundaries or property lines or guardrails that are in place to protect us. Have you ever been on a 15 uh, right there by the strip and maybe you pass Sahara? There's guardrails everywhere to keep people from driving off the road or keep me from going, you know what, I forgot something at home and doing a U-turn on the 15 to go on the other side. Guardrails aren't there to say, to, to destroy. Guardrails are there to protect. And so when I go into a dating relationship, when I go into an engagement, I say, here are our guardrails. Are you cool with it? I'm cool with it. Okay, now we have a mutual understanding, and we'll never pass or, or, or go beyond those guardrails. So I wrote down a how far is too far list. And what I want you to do is I want you to take this list, and I want you to ask yourself three questions. And you text it, and you get the list to your phone. And it's not vulgar, it's, not, it's nothing like that. But I want you to have that list, take it home. I want you to first ask yourself, okay, where do I draw the line? We place 12 different little guardrails. This is what this is, what this is, this is what this is. One well, first question I want to ask you today is, where do I draw the line? Where do I draw the line? Not him or her or them, but where do I draw the line? Because you know yourself very well. Yeah. So what can I handle? Where do I draw the line? Number two, what are the consequences? of where you draw the line for you and your relationship. I'm not saying punishment, but what are the consequences? Begin to look at what actually would take place. The guilt, the shame. You know what? We need, to, we need to slow down. We need to calm down. And number three is consider what you'll, what you'll need to do to keep from crossing your property line. Because I think there's, you know, sometimes in the just happened choice, I understand it just happens. But there's ways that we can plan for it, not plan on it. Yeah. Meaning I know my weaknesses. I know I can't go there. I know I can't touch this. I know I can't do that. I know myself. Maybe you're once in a relationship before, and sometimes we say, I already opened up the Pandora box. I already made that mistake. Well, guess what? Now you know what you can handle. Now you know your property line. Because I believe there shouldn't be guilt and shame. I believe God can heal and redeem. But I can definitely tell you exactly where your property line should be. But I'm here to tell you that I can't be your conscience. Let the Holy Spirit be your conscience. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you and direct you. I'm here to tell you, if you had an oops before, I'm here to tell you, God's going to set you free and you're going to walk into a covenant love marriage saying, I did it by the grace of God. Yes. Okay, calm down. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I want to talk to married people for just a second. There's this optimism view in the Christian world. I touched on it a little bit. But sometimes the view is that sex is gross. Maybe it's gross because of what we preach against sometimes. Maybe it's gross because of the way culture has distorted it, perverted it. Maybe it's gross 
because of some other means. But sometimes sex, when we get into our marriages, we reduce sex solely to the unfortunate means by which we only procreate. It's just a job. It's just it's not for enjoyment. It needs to be done with just the possibility of conception. Can I make a decoration today? Like, this, is just, this is for married folks in this room today. Can I make a decoration today that sex isn't gross? It's a gift from God. Can we say amen there today? All right. Come on. I hear some ladies. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. But sex isn't gross. It's a gift. That sex is a powerful gift that God gives to married people. I'm here to tell you, some of us, we've never heard this before. God created sex. It, it, it came from him. Not from the enemy, not from culture, not from the world. They just take what was good and begin to pervert it. So sex is not gross. Sex is a gift. And so there's four wonderful benefits of sex in the confinements of marriage. Number one, I'm going to go quick. Number one, sex is for pleasure. Help me out, everybody. God wants you to have great sex. Yes. My mother-in-law's in the front row. Hey. Hallelujah. But listen to me, sex was God's idea. It's not just about procreation, it's about recreation. I'm here to redeem sex today in Jesus' name. It's for our enjoyment. Oh, he says, first service was like, (laughs) but number two, sex is for knowledge. Sex, when two become one flesh, there's no, one I, no, there's no one else I know as intimately because two become one. But no one should ever take that away. That you should be the best person to date your spouse because you know them best. Sex is for knowledge. Number three, sex is for comfort. Sex is for comfort. And here's the thing. Uh, you know, take time together to go on vacation without children. Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get an Amen. Man, have you ever? I, all right, I got an eight-year-old. He picks locks. All right, like, like he puts his hands under the door. I mean, he's like, "What are you doing?" And we're like, eh, "Forget it," you know. I want to encourage every married pe- person in here: go on vacation with just your spouse. You like that, huh? And kids, we love you, but at eighteen, you're going by Felicia, and it's just me and my wife. I need to have, I got to make sure that comfort's still good to go. <laughs> I also want you to know, sex is for protection. Yeah. Like husbands, we protect our wives. Yeah. Wives, we protect, you protect your husbands. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. It says, don't deprive each other of sexual relations. For some husbands, that's like all you know right there, you know. But it goes further than that. It says don't deprive each other. And I want you to understand this. There's two things in just in that little sentence. It doesn't mean that wives, yeah, 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 you never withheld, but also husbands, you never demand. You never demand. But it has to be perfect. It has to be a decision to make. It says unless you both agree to refrain. (laughs) 
I love that. Unless, this is, this is Paul. Paul, what are you doing, man? He says, don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Can I get an amen, right? Right? I picture husband's like, hey, babe, we got like five minutes. She's like, I'm praying, you know. <laughs> You're welcome, all right? Hey, we're praying. And it says that afterwards, you should come together so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sex is for protection. Don't let anything else get inside the marriage bed. No pornography. Nobody else. It says two become one. Two become one. Because of your lack of self-control. Sex protects one another. But you must always protect the marriage. You know, you won't be enticed by the forbidden fruit if you're too busy being fruitful. And you're protecting one another. And maybe, maybe, and here's my prayer. I've been writing this message this week and the past two weeks. And my prayer is for many of us, we say, man, I just, after today's message, I screwed everything up. I didn't wait. I withheld my marriage. I didn't wait before I was married. I'm with somebody now that's not married. I, I'm single. I'm widowed. Whatever you are, I'm divorced. I'm heartbroken. I've been praying for you today. And my prayer is you begin to realize the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That I've never taken water baptism in a relationship goals message. But how appropriate it is in our culture today. Our culture wants to distort and bring guilt and shame. But God wants to redeem and set us free. God wants to say, no matter what your past is, I've washed it away completely clean. That you're now a new creation in Christ Jesus. That God wants to redeem. God always wants to restore. See, we're all sexual beings created by God. But there's an enemy out there who wants us to feel nothing but guilt and shame. I love the story of baptism in the Middle East. What they used to do is they would find a river and they would take someone and they would baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And before they went down, they would wear nasty, dirty clothes with dirt and torn up. And they would go under the water. And when they come out of the water, they would take off that dirty garment. And underneath that dirty garment, they had a white shirt on or a white gown on. And they would let their dirty garments go down the river never to be seen again. That's what God has for your life. God says, I purified you. I set you clean. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus today. And so, man, I would love the honor of baptizing you in whatever your context is today. I'm going to call up my wife. Pastor Lindsay, are you here? I'm going to call up my wife real quick. And I want her just to share a little bit of her perspective because I just love that God is a God who always redeems. What's up, babe? (laughs) What's up, babe? What's up? What's up? We got a packed house today, man. I had a hard time finding a seat. Um, real quick, Jeremy and I come from two very different ends of the table. Um, you've done such a great job, too. Isn't it great being able to talk about a topic? Come on, that could be awkward or you don't think it could be in church. Um, but I love that we are confronting culture. We're talking about these topics because what a healthy place to do it. But yeah, we, we really represented two different ends of the table mm-hmm. because I didn't come to know Jesus until 2002. And I lived three years of life having sex outside of marriage. And so I was not a virgin 
when we got married. And I can tell you that what I was doing previous to knowing Jesus was not God's best for me. Did, was there times of enjoying? Was, there's, was there recreation? Yes, of course. But it wasn't God's best plan because now I have something to compare it to. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus in summer of 2002, and I started to recognize the worth that was in me. I realized that God's plan for my life was not to withhold things from me, but to bless me. And in order to bless my life, there were certain things that I needed to align with in order for God to pour out those things in my life. Are you trekking with me? Do you hear me? Okay. So when I came to know Jesus, I started realizing that none of my past defines who I am. Did I learn some valuable lessons from it? Absolutely. Did I wish some of it never happened? In all honesty, absolutely. You've woken up one morning and said, why in the world have I done this or said that? Yeah. I had those moments, but none of them define me. And so I remained abstinent from the time that I gave my life to Jesus in 2002 to the time in 2007 when I said I do. That rhymed. You're welcome. Seriously, there was five years of living a life that was with boundaries, yeah. that I didn't look at it as something that God was trying to keep from me. Yeah. I lined myself up, learned the value and the worth in me. But hear me, guys, not just me, because you're like, okay, fine, I know who I am. Mm -hmm. But what about valuing the other person? Yeah. The people that I were in dating relationships with when I was a Christian, I looked at that man and I would say, you know what? Yeah. You're not mine yet. We're not in a covenant relationship. We're committed mm -hmm. to the end of this. And we're not saying I do in front of Jesus yet. And so guess what? I'm going to value you. I'm going to value your personal walk with God. I'm going to yeah. value your worth. And so I never, in all of my dating relationships, I had boundaries from the moment I knew Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then it kept me pure until dating. And so wherever you're at, it doesn't define you. But just know, if I can walk away from a lifestyle that was not God's best for me, anybody can. And if you would have told me that 20 years later, I would be standing here, married for 13 years, never has there been a discrepancy in our marriage, never has there been a boundary line or a property line crossed in our marriage. If you would have told me that this would have been my life because of the choices that I made when I came to know Jesus, I, who would have known? So this, get some vision for your life. Get some value for the people who are around you and for yourself. That's what I love. I want you to see a scripture in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, I think this sums it all up. This is what God says. He says, come now, let us settle the matter. Says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will be like wool. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us. Yeah. And he will purify us of all unrighteousness. See, the question today isn't, can, can God forgive me? Because yes, he can. But the question today is, can you forgive yourself? Can we give us permission to take a step today? And so here's what I want us to do. We're going to watch a quick video on Shannon. And Shannon has a powerful story of how she spontaneously got water baptized. But if you feel right now you want to get water baptized, we have 14 people already registered for baptism. I see some shirts on. And so if that is you during this video, go to that canopy, sign up. We're going to have a certificate for you. If you're sitting in here today and you say maybe I was baptized younger or baptized at a different season in my life, but now it would mean something. Now I want to say, you know what, Jesus, thank you for what you did in my heart. 
because that's what baptism is. That God washed away our sins, and he gave us a new life in Jesus Christ. And so if that's you today, I want you to go over there to the canopy during the video. Go ahead. I would even say baptism isn't a membership into a church. It's a realization that Jesus made me new, that he died for my sins, and it's my public proclamation, my public voice saying, you know what? You made me new, Jesus, and I'm walking out of this way different. And so that's awesome. So even if you've never been water baptized, we have shorts for you. We have shirts that got everything you need. A dryer. A blow dryer for your hair. Shampoo. We do. Lotion. We got some spray on. We got some stuff. We do. All right, watch this video real quick. (laughs) My name is Shannon Isaacs. I've been coming to Avenue since October of 2018. And I moved here, I want to say maybe on like a Thursday or Friday, and I was here on Sunday morning. My first experience coming to Avenue, I remember walking in and I felt like I was home. I felt like I was home. Um, Prior to moving here, I had looked up churches in Las Vegas and I knew I couldn't move until I had a church. And so... I looked it up, Avenue was the first thing that came up, and I clicked on it, and I scrolled through, and I was like, yeah, they look all right. And so I came, I moved maybe like the next month, and then I was committed. And so I've been here since October of 2018, and so much has changed since then. But it felt like home very early on, and I could tell that the pastors were loving and they cared about people, and if anything else, that was what I needed and what I wanted. Um, And I found that here. I'd always grown up in the church. And because I'd always grown up in the church, I think that I knew about God. I knew there was a God, but I didn't necessarily have a personal connection or relationship with God until I was a teenager. And as a teen, there was a friend of mine in high school who she was so on fire for God. She was someone who encouraged me in my faith walk at a very early age, and so I was around like 14 at the time. I had just started high school. And at, I believe, 15 or 16, that's when I was first baptized, and I gave my life to God. So the day I got baptized at Avenue, I had no idea I was gonna get baptized. So um, I'm on the worship team, and we were singing and we're worshiping and it was just it felt like just a you know another day at avenue i just was excited um just like yay another day to serve another day to you know just worship god pastor jeremy he did this sermon and he's talking about you know freedom and this public declaration of your faith and trusting that god loves you trusting that you're worthy in god's eyes um And something was just like, go ahead, jump in. And everybody else was getting baptized. I was like, good for them, thank you God. Like, you know, somebody else is, they're committing their life. And I didn't think I was gonna be one of the people. And I was just like, there was this tug on my spirit, just tug on my spirit, and I couldn't avoid it, I couldn't ignore it. And um, I was just like, okay, I'm doing this. And so I went to the table. I felt a nervous wreck. I can't remember who exactly was at the table, but I was just like, uh, I think I'm gonna go ahead. And she was like, you gonna do it? I was like, yeah. And so put on the shirt. I was literally just crying because it, it was so profound to me. So much time had passed and I lived so much life in that 15 years. When I was baptized, I, I literally felt new. It was so crazy. I actually 
remember seeing the picture because everything was such a blur. I remember seeing the picture after when I came out the water. I think I was like this. And literally that's how I felt. I felt like on top of the world. Um, I literally felt like I left everything in the water. It was all in the water. I left it there and I didn't have to pick it up. I love it. So will you stand with me, please? And man, we're about to encounter and witness people taking a step today in water baptism. Bob, I would love to pray with everybody this morning. Will you stand with me, please? And let me pray over you. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we thank you. The Father, I thank you that we can bring topics like this to the house of God. The Father, I thank you that going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the Father, you cover us. You cover us with grace and with mercy. The Father, I thank you that you're redeeming marriages this morning. Father, I thank you for redeeming individuals and couples, singles. The Father, I thank you you're doing such a work inside of us. Father, I'm so honored to be able to witness those even get water baptized. But just at this moment, Father, maybe there's someone here today, you feel like you have no hope. Maybe you feel like, like Adam and Eve, you screwed up, you, you, you gave in, and you're just hiding full of guilt and full of shame. And I would love to pray with you today. I would love to just help you to take a step. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you to, to get water baptized at this moment. I'm asking you today, can I lead you in a prayer? To, to take a step towards a loving relationship, a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to know who I'm praying for. And if that's you and you say, Pastor, will you lead me in that prayer? We, what we do here is we all pray together. But just put a hand up, put it right back down if that's you today. And just say, Pastor, will you pray with me? Anyone, just put a hand up, put it right back down. That's all I need this morning. Yes. Anyone else? Just up, right back down. Up, yes. Anyone else? Up, right back down. You can put your hand up. Thank you so much. Up and right back down. Anyone else? Come on, let's clap for those hands this morning. It's amazing. Amazing. Let's all pray this prayer together. How many of you know we don't do life alone? I want everyone to say, Jesus. I need you. Say thank you for dying on the cross. Say thank you for paying for what I did. So today, I receive your forgiveness. Say forgive me of my sins and be Lord of my life. Say be number one. Say with all my heart, the best way I know how, I'm going to live for you. Say I now know who I am. Say I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm a child of God. Come on, everybody, give God a shout of praise today.